You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome to another episode of Intellectual Erection with your host Patrick. Today I'm going to be talking to burlesque performer Remedy Moore. This is our second time trying to do this. The first time <laughs> you were not Remedy Moore. I was not Remedy Moore, and I drank were, a lot of wine. You were drunky Magoo, and so was I. <laughs> we're going to be talking about ethical sluthood, polyamory, burlesque performance, and a lot about motherhood and what it means to be a sex-positive mother trying to raise a healthy, sex-positive child without all the stigma. So if you want to catch Remedy Moore's next performance she will be performing as a burlesque kitten she'll be kittening at revival bar on wednesday june 12th for a show called salacious you can get your tickets online right now so catch her there and as always listen like review and most of all enjoy i'm sitting here today with Remedy Moore. Remedy Moore. And what does Remedy Moore do? Um, I do a lot of things, but uh, this name in particular is uh, linked to my burlesque identity and performer slash modeling identity. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Where can people find that? You can find me on Instagram at Remedy Moore. At Remedy Moore. Very, very easy to find. R-E-M-E-D-Y-M-O-O-R-E. Don't That's forget right. that E. <laughs> That's right. So uh, you've been performing for a little while. We can talk about that. Um, but I do have some other questions first before we get into your performance. Because you do have a bunch of intersecting parts of your identity that are going to be interesting to talk about. One... Um, you are a person who has been part of the sex positive communities for a while so there's different aspects of it that you engage in mm-hmm. two you've recently become a burlesque performer three you are a mom and that's one of those interesting intersecting aspects that i'd like to talk to uh, to you about and then we're going to talk a little bit about love sex sexuality relationships your future all the fun stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> let's so let's start. Yeah, we'll do like a past, present, and future. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> nice. So let's do this. Let's start with uh, with the origin story. I want to know what brought you into the sex positive communities, different aspects of it, what kind of drew you into the lifestyle, and always I'm interested if there's a very early experience that bloomed your sexual awakenings into the weirdness of it all. <laughs> yeah. Um so my origin story pretty much starts I would say pretty young Um, the most vivid part in my mind being high school Uh, I was always falling in love so I didn't really have words to describe the way that I wanted my relationships to work but throughout high school I I found myself very emotionally invested in multiple people and it was a struggle because 
a lot of my friends slut shamed me a lot of my friends were quote unquote worried about me or mm. worried about me making a name for myself um even though i kept my personal and sex life pretty quiet um i was already kind of practicing ethical sluthood ethical (laughs) i'll call it um because i would be very upfront about dating multiple people and um everybody seemed to be on board and okay with that so that's where that kind of started but i didn't uh understand or know that there was other people like me I didn't know that there was polyamory. I didn't know um, that there were these really amazing communities that already existed until I entered my early 20s, basically maybe about 18 or 19, I guess, is -hmm. when I started to figure that out. Um, That's still relatively early. Yeah, and that changed everything for me, uh, hugely. (laughs) So was there a point where you were monogamous ever before before, um, kind of figuring out that it it didn't work for you? Yep. Um, So I was in a monogamous relationship on and off for almost three years. Um, And before that, I was in a pretty short monogamous relationship with my first kind of boyfriend who I lost my virginity to. Um, And that was like, I was so young, I was like 15, so I hadn't really figured it out yet. Um, But my sexuality was certainly blooming at that time, for sure. I was kind of of the mindset of like, I want to fall in love and I'm going to do all the things. And I like started dating somebody and I looked at my mom and I was like, I'm going to go on birth control. And she's like, what? (laughs) Said, well, I think I'm going to lose my virginity and I want to go on birth control. So I I took a very uh, responsible Uh, take on my sexuality from the get-go I was very careful I made him get tested he was older than me I knew that he was not a virgin Um, so that's how that kind of started but through high school um, I was really confused Uh, but I stuck to my guns I was like this is how I feel these are my emotions um, and that's okay and then as I got older and realized that polyamory was a thing then it was the kind of gateway to every, everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hearing that you're putting, uh, at least in your case, a lot of emphasis on the Amory part of it. It seems that the ability to express yourself emotionally with multiple people is at the forefront of your experience and what you're interested in. Definitely. Um, I've always been a sucker for love. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've known you for a while, and I know you to be the type of person that that is very emotional, very invested, and seeking those aspects of the polyamorous community. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's the love part for me. (laughs) Yeah, but then there's also the genuine sluthood. There is the the sexual aspect. Mm -hmm. So is that something that's divorced from it for you? Uh, Is that a separate path? Did those two things come in together? Because you were saying in high school that you discovered your sluthood early and that you discovered also your emotional need to spread that towards multiple partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do intersect um, for sure. But I would say that for me, an emotional connection has always been really important. Um, Even if it wasn't something that I thought was going to end up long term. Mm -hmm. Um, As for like the slut, hood aspect of it um 
I was kind of of the mindset of like, I want to try everything. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to try every single thing. And I was really open and um, I was spending, you know, half of my high school paycheck on lingerie. <laughs> oh, nice. um, I, I always was really connected to that part of myself, to my sexuality and continued to be. So um, sex was something that was exciting to me, healthy to me, um, something that I took, you know, seriously and I didn't want to miss out on any of those experiences and polyamory allowed me to understand the vocabulary that I needed, the um, ways to communicate with multiple people, the ways to um, manage multiple relationships. Like it didn't start off perfect. Um, There were communication breakdowns. There were conversations that should have happened earlier that didn't happen. Like all of those things that happen when you're kind of navigating um, polyamory. And uh, I actually, I I committed polyamory uh, sin (laughs) Um, when I became pregnant. Uh And that's something that was a really big learning experience. learning experience for me because I had a partner that I didn't know how seriously invested they were in me um, when I went away on my trip and surprise, surprise, came back with a permanent souvenir um, being my now three-year-old son. Yep. (laughs) Um, And we hadn't discussed our boundaries. We hadn't discussed... um, our, our kind of relationship parameters in great detail. And that one slip up that I made was actually cheating. And I didn't think that at right, the time. Right. I was like, I'm just following my heart and this is what I wanted and da 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 but, um, but I have to take full responsibility for the fact that I did hurt my partner and it was cheating in their mind. Even if we hadn't discussed it, it, it really hurt them. Um, so, I mean, in technical aspects, maybe it wasn't cheating because we didn't talk about it. Yeah. But it definitely was uh, me being irresponsible. Right, right, right. And I mean, thankfully that happened because I, I love my son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it definitely took a, a toll on that relationship. So, um, yeah. And then I guess kink came next. <laughs> okay. So that that's uh, there's a lot to to process and digest there. Um, you started out fairly early being polyamorous and realized that, you know, there's a bunch of aspects of it that require strong communication. In fact, we first tried to do this interview over a year ago. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the audio quality was really, really bad. And we had been drinking some wine, so the interview was shot. <laughs> And this is a re-recording at a more advantageous, I think, time because then you weren't into the burlesque scene yet. So now there's far more intersections that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Last time it was all about communication, if you remember. Yeah, <laughs> we it was. Di- we discussed a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting when you encounter one of these situations where a mistake leads to something that changes your life, right? Mm-hmm. And in retrospect you know it's not a mistake it was something that enriched your life but you now also acknowledge that it it hurt somebody else which hopefully you've had a chance to we've talk. De- yeah we've yeah. made amends we yeah. are we're good okay. yeah, that's good to hear so there's all that so let's put a pin in that 
Yeah. And then we'll get to where you are at present with all that. And let's start on the kink path because mm-hmm. there seems to be a different story for that. For sure, yeah. Take me there. So, again, like I said, I was always very curious when it came to sex. And um, the kink part kind of came in waves, we'll say. So the first time I remember being really interested in it, other than the whole, like, I want to tie you up and blindfold you, like the vanilla toe dip into kink mm-hmm. um, the 50 shades of uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah actually that i don't, I don't even know if that was around i was pretty young <laughs> well, it was before that eh? Ooh. um but uh i remember seeing this movie and there was a scene in this movie where i think the movie is called killing me softly but there's a few movies named this so don't get it yeah what i feel like i feel like i know this title this one's about um it's a love story it's also kind of a a thriller and basically this scene happens where this woman and man are about to cross the street and they kind of touch fingers as they're Mm. clicking the button um and all of a sudden they decide to get in a cab together and go to his place and have like crazy sex. And then as their relationship progresses, she realizes that, um, I don't want to give it all away, but there's a scene, <laughs> there's a scene in this movie where um, he is a mountain climber. So he has like all this pulley gear. Um, and there's a breath play scene in it where Uh, Basically, like, the fireplace mantle has, like, the pulley gear set up, and there's silk, and he's got, like, a silk fetish, and the silk is, like, put through the pulley gear and around her neck, and he is controlling when she breathes. And this scene, like, like, burnt into my memory, into, like, my brain, and I was like, that's so, so hot. I really like that idea. Um, Probably, like, 19? Oh, okay. So at that time. Okay, so it wasn't like super young. Yeah. So like there were already kinky things happening in my life, but I think that was what put like kind of pushed it as like this serious fantasy of like being submissive and putting mm-hmm. that into somebody else's hands. Um but then I realized that I was also super switchy because I am I'm dominant uh leaning, I would say, or um I kind of fall into that naturally, but uh but I find when I fall in love, I become very submissive very easily. So that's probably where that line crosses. Um, so through the poly community, because they intersect so much with kink, um, I was already meeting all my new kinky friends and partners. Right. And I, that's how I dived into that world. So going to Oasis Aqua Lounge was a big one for me. I started going there regularly, meeting everybody love that space um Mm -hmm. still do still go all the time um and that's what led into my i want to push the limits of my sexuality and it was also a big uh part of my own therapy i realized that i really like um psychological power play and it wouldn't come out in a healthy manner in my usual life if I didn't keep wraps on it. Like I could, you know, that could come out in my work, that could come out in different relationships Um, and it could come out in sex non-consensually, like not having a discussion before that, um, which is not okay. So 
kink allowed me to explore these power dynamics and also um, therapy for the tr- past trauma. Right. So it sounds like a lot of people, a lot of people use kink and BDSM as a form of sublimating their uh, internal desires, uh, aggressions, and just coping and dealing with the anxieties, depressions, and woes of everyday life, where power dynamics in a bigger society is transformed into something that they can play with, right? So mm-hmm. th- I, this is what I've heard from a lot of people and from some of the research that I've done, that really BDSM power dynamics are taboo because we experience them in the world, in our workplace, mm-hmm. in having to deal with societal structures that are bigger than ourselves, in having to feel like we're in constant power relationships with the state, with politics, with our bosses, with uh, people in power, and with authority. So we get to subvert a little bit of that by toying with it, by fucking with it. Absolutely. And when you were saying earlier that you'd have dom-leaning tendencies, but then when love comes into the picture, you become more submissive. I want to ask you a little bit about that, whether it's a question of vulnerability. Absolutely. Is that what what enables that to to happen? Mm -hmm. That's hitting the nail right on the head. So... Um, being vulnerable for me um, when it comes to love was a lot harder than being vulnerable when it came to sex. Mm -hmm. Um, So continuing to be dominant allows you to feel a little bit more in control. Right. Even though the submissive has the ultimate control and has, you know, they can, they can call it whenever they want. Right. Right. Um, there is you you are leading that scene most of the time so the more vulnerable and more trusting that i can be with a partner the more submissive i can be for instance something that is huge for me is bondage um i absolutely will not be tied up um in a non-public place by somebody that i don't know well that would so never like, happen for so me. So like in somebody's private yeah, that's, residence or, yeah. That's an ultimate, uh, like that's, that requires so much trust yeah. for me because yeah. that is a vulnerable position. Absolutely. And I've heard a lot of horror stories about people doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're tied up uh, in somebody's private home and something nasty happens. And that's why I would always yeah. say if that's something you want to experience. Yeah. Find somebody with references if you're new to the scene and do that in a public place where you have people there in case anything goes sideways, if anything starts to make those spidey senses tingle. And it happens also in in the public spaces. You're not completely out of danger there either mm-hmm. i've heard of stories and i've i know of stories that happened even at oasis where yep. people were tied up uh, in suspended bondage and something happened and you know the the top just wasn't careful mm-hmm. or pressed too far into somebody's mm-hmm. boundaries mm-hmm. and there was an absence of consent yeah and there's a lot of so, knowledge that needs to happen in yeah. rope too like you can yeah. ruin your nervous system but yeah. there needs to be a level of um knowledge and awareness and about anatomy about all this stuff yeah so you're 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 very right when when you say that uh people should get references and i know it's hard to penetrate the bdsm community not knowing where to start 
but there definitely are people you can talk to in forums mm-hmm. and fetlife.com and, yeah, and be careful like that. on your online forums too but yeah, yeah. start to um, start to get your references because there are people who do have reputations in the community good and really really bad mm-hmm. yeah definitely so that's uh, that's how you got into where you are now polyamory started very early kink started probably earlier but around 19 it just got mm-hmm. sprung by some silk ties around <laughs> breath play from a film called killing me softly and i was thinking of killing them softly which is a film with brad pitt that's and always the one it gets that confused one, oh, with it's that's not such that a one. good movie though i was hoping that was the king scene in there somewhere but okay what did i miss yeah all right so where are you now with yeah. with all of these identities mm-hmm. so um i I am poly, I am pansexual, I am super kinky, mm-hmm. um, I'm a mom, I'm a burlesque performer, I have a day job, <laughs> there's a lot going on. Um, so right now, um, after practicing polyamory for for many years now, um, I am actually in my first monogamous, or mon- monogamish, we'll, we'll monogamish. call it, because uh, <laughs> they're very very open-minded and and super supportive of my identity um Mm -hmm. but i am in my first monogamous relationship now um and a lot of people were perplexed and just like what are you doing you've always been poly what's going on um and really like this touches on the parts of polyamory that people don't want to talk about most of the time everybody wants to talk about like you know the life-changing aspects for the good and like we we all want to vouch for 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 polyamory like we right. we love love um and we love the communication and the lessons that come with it and i think that's important and i think you can bring that into your monogamous relationships as well if you're a monogamous person um but for me being a mom dating with a with a child in the poly community can be really really hard um not because I need to hide myself from my kid, which I don't, mm. um, not because I'm worried about any of that, uh, but navigating polyamory with children is different. And uh, I think any single mom would be able to uh, agree that uh, bringing partners into your child's life is, is big. It's a big responsibility right, right. Um, because you're not just protecting your own heart, you're protecting your kid's heart too. So, um, I took that pretty slow, but I felt like I was actually living like three different lives. You know, I had my relationships on the days that I wasn't with my son. I had, you know, the whole kink part aspect of my life. I had, you know, my job, my my daily, the daily grind. Um, yep. And then I had being a mom and having my family and running my home and not having... Um, most of your life intersect and and having that person support that part of your uh, life is really, really exhausting because when you're making time for your partners but your partners aren't integrated in your life and your family and your daily trials and tribulations and wins um, and celebrations, it feels like you're living separate lives. So when i met my partner and they said you know i'm totally cool with you being poly i I don't know if it's for me i've i've done it you know i've been in open relationships and i've i've tried this before and i'm not sure about it um but was open and willing and i was like 
I'm pretty tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really okay um, with seeing if this meets my needs for where I'm at in my life right now. Um, and I feel that I'm in a relationship where I can always talk about it if it's not meeting my needs. I can right. always um, bring those conversations up, and that's important. That's fair. And I, I mean, I'm hearing you say that, you know, you experience the sense of fragmentation and it could be really exhausting trying to, to keep hold of separate identities that don't seem to, to meet anywhere. And I was one of the people when I heard that you had gone monogamous, you'd gone rogue. I was surprised. <laughs> but at the same time, I understood in the way that you explained it to me why you made that decision for yourself. And unlike i don't know maybe some other people who heard the same message from you and didn't take it well i was i wouldn't say happy for you it wasn't a sense of happiness in me but it was a it was a sense of understanding i i got seeing you fragmented and seeing you struggle i got your need to to have a little bit of safety and and you know habit and something that is cohesive in your life because otherwise you know it, it just deteriorates your mental health and you know it's worth a try if it's gonna if it's gonna make you feel complete or unified or you know just not so desperately trying to keep your life together all the time yeah and at the end of the day like it's a big responsibility to um to enter like a family and a family unit and um, when you have m other multiple partners that you're also tending to, it's hard to be um, on call yeah. per se, like, you know. Um, but the other part that was a big part of this decision was um, I really wanted to explore really loving people without it necessarily being sexual mm -hmm. or, you know, or even having to touch that part of it. I wanted, I wanted to foster and nurture these relationships um, that weren't necessarily partnerships, um, mm -hmm. but were support networks and, and true loving friendships as well. Um, and then realizing that I could, I could truly love people, um, but, but still have it as a, a friendship. Um, right. So kind and, of a, and safety support net for each other. Kind of like a platonic uh, polyamorous network, yeah. if you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess yeah, we yeah. could call it that. Yeah, why not? <laughs> for sure. So it, this, I think this happens to a lot of people that are involved in polyamory is they'll find instances where they need to incubate with one person. And sometimes they do just simplify because life such, it is, such as it is, especially here in Toronto, can be very fragmenting, can be very hectic and chaotic. So sometimes I, I've met a lot of people that have gone from, you know, relationship anarchy, hierarchical polyamory, or polyfamilies to a more simplified network or to a sort of monogamish relationship. And it's understandable from that perspective. And it's also interesting knowing that those avenues are still open and those boundaries can still be discussed and negotiated mm -hmm. but sometimes you do need to to settle down a little bit with with a, a more minimalist take on your life 
and then other times you're ready to bloom and explore again Mm -hmm. and i um i will always identify as polyamorous because i know my i know my heart right um but and i am still in a poly relationship right now because i'm i'm having a serious relationship with myself (laughs) as well um like that was another reason too is like i need to love myself and put that energy that i've put into my partners into me so really when it comes to to love and energy right now um apart from all of my friends and family i have you know three people myself my partner my son that i am constantly attending to Mm-hmm. And, and constantly nurturing. Um, so that's a lot already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's completely fair. So then from all this, at some point, you decided you're going to start performing burlesque. Where did that come into the picture? And mm. how has <laughs> a burlesque performance, has it been always in the back of your mind? And how does the performance work for you? Does it enable certain things? Is it cathartic? Is it therapeutic? It's so Where many is things. Where's it at? Um, I've been taking my clothes off in front of mirrors for a long time. <laughs> um, my grandmother, she's in her 70s. She was a burlesque dancer. Um, yeah, her her burlesque uh, performance name was Isadora, and uh, cool. she always showed me little clips of her in the paper, all of her her old black and white photos in her beautiful um, dresses and and attire, and um, so it's always been there. Dancing has always been my passion. Um, taking control of my sexuality and how little or how much I want to show of that or express um, has always been there. So, and the performing part has always been there. So it has been in the back of my mind for quite some time. Um, I actually went to my first burlesque performance. Um, it was a, I, it was, I believe, a femme fatale show, um, which is a burlesque troupe run by Dainty Smith, who Mm -hmm. is absolutely wonderful. Um, It is uh, mainly women of color. And when I first saw one of their shows, I was just jaw to the floor inspired. It was everything. It was sexy. It was political. It was um, beautiful art and and uh, and and it was raw and vulnerable too. Like there were performances that just made you almost want to cry. And that was the moment where I was like, oh my God, yeah, I want to do this. Um, and I actually ended up going to a, a workshop. It's called Body Love. Um, it is taught by Dainty Smith and Raven Wings. Mm-hmm. They are partners in this um, at the 519. It's an amazing, amazing workshop. Um, and that gave me a lot of pointers and a lot of uh, confidence to kind of put together all of this uh, work that has been in my head for years or in scraps of paper under my bed um, and start creating something there. So then a big shout out to the local Toronto burlesque group Femme Fatale. Mm-hmm. And if... Uh, Check them out. Yeah, find their Insta. I'm, I'm pretty sure it would be just... Their Instagrams, that, yeah. uh, Femme Fatale's uh, W-O-C, Women W-O-C. of Color, I believe. Okay. Um, but if you do a quick 
search of Dainty Smith, I'm sure you will find it. I'll put the links in the description of this episode so you can easily find it there. Big shout out to them for all the wonderful work. And since then, you've begun performing Mm -hmm. in, in spots in Toronto under your burlesque name, Remedy Moore. Mm-hmm. What have you done? Where have you done it? What are you doing now? What are future performances? Yeah, so right now um, I'm working on some auditions. Um, I'm hoping to get into the Montreal Burlesque Festival, uh, which is coming up in October. So I I hope that I get in. I'll Ooh. let you guys know. Yeah. Um, I have been booting around the city. I've been doing some stuff for Maison Chardon. Uh, which is a wonderful local designer. Um, she designs fetish, kink, um, lingerie, like be- beautiful designs. Um, so I've been doing quite a lot of shows um, mm-hmm. for them right now. Um, and I did some stuff uh, earlier in the year with um, hot, uh, da, 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 what is it called? Speak Easy, <laughs> I was, which is run by High Society Cabaret. Um, knocks harder um and that you can look all that up they have tons of shows coming up too so i've just been doing kind of what fits into my schedule right now because there's so much going on and i'm also doing a lot of other other day-to-day work stuff um but i'm hoping those uh the big one the montreal burlesque festival will come up soon but it's only been a year so almost a year this this august yeah. Um, I feel like I've I've done a lot because I was at a point in life before this where I would have came up with any reason not to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've gotten over that fear and it's been a really great journey so far, meeting a lot of people in the burlesque scene and going to their shows and supporting them and learning from them. So hoping to also do like um, some more some more classes, some more tune-ups uh, to get me ready to do some bigger stuff mm-hmm. in the next coming year. Well, your uh, your shows are, are specifically very sensual mm-hmm. and they have this, this very um, sort of like femme aggressive alpha vibe while also having you know shades of vulnerability mm. uh highlighted through and a lot of it has you know I, I remember you were discussing some of the concepts that you wanted to put into your shows like mythology mm-hmm. right so it's it is a unique take from your perspective there's there's so many different kinds of burlesque out there mm-hmm. there's like the more the more fun outgoing there's the 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 sportier type there's yeah, the there's comical circus right? yeah like so classical absolutely like classic burlesque which is so, what my grandmother did yeah so i'm i'm more on this like i take a lot of my um love for contemporary dance i put a lot of that into my burlesque acts as well and um i really 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 love being able to be vulnerable on stage because it's a it's a safe place for me to kind of let my heart unravel and tell my stories that's the part that i wanted to to ask you next is what does it feel like to perform it feels like somebody's reading my journal out loud on a speakerphone (laughs) um or watching me have sex on stage or make love on stage like to yourself yeah, because that's that's what it looks yeah, like to it, myself and to the audience. Um, being able to bring people into that into that world, and my my main goal is to touch that vulnerable part of people who may not be connected to that themselves. That's really wonderful. It's it's really cool to to be able to 
have that experience to watch somebody else perform it and to share in that weird sort of vulnerability in that kind of setting it's it's unique and i've never performed anything like that i know the high of performing so, uh, on on stage or you know other kinds of performances but uh, the the level of intimacy that you bring to it is is uh definitely interesting and <laughs> thank you interesting is a bad word anytime somebody says interesting it sounds like like they're failing to describe the thing so i should use a better word than interesting it's like peeking through the keyhole of yeah. my bedroom door yeah so exactly. i want you to feel it like you just every... saw something that you, you that was very intimate that maybe you weren't exactly supposed to see yeah it turns the audience into voyeurs mm. there's a there's a kink thing going on there yeah you're the you... exhibitionist <laughs> yeah. we're the voyeurs <laughs> exactly yeah. so if you're if you're feeling a little voyeuristic <laughs> And then come to one of the shows. Come to one of my shows. And check out Remedy Moore. Okay, let's uh, let's flip this record and go to one of the other things that I wanted to talk about. So we've talked about Polly, we talked about Kink, we talked about burlesque performance, and now let's talk about motherhood. Because I want to know how this intersects for you. Um, Put and, your seatbelts on yeah. and uh, maybe a... Get, get, pack your wet naps. <laughs> get a wet nap. Get a bottle. Get your your uh, what are those called? Safety seats that you put in the car. Yeah, uh, a car seat. Car seat. <laughs> car seat. Der- yeah. Okay. And what I what I want to know is not only just how this this intersects for you motherhood with with all of this, but also raising a young progressive. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just I want to know what you think that your son can learn from the sex positive communities or about them, and when when those conversations become appropriate for you, mm-hmm. have you introduced any right of these ideas? Now. Yeah, right now. Yeah, and uh, is there something that you're holding back that you're gonna inform him later on about from these communities? Because there's some things that he mm. might not yet understand some of the complexities. I presume. You know what? You would think that, mm. but three year olds get it sometimes better than adults do um i have not held anything back and i'm very very aware and conscious of what i teach him so especially when it comes to sexuality nudity um breaking those gender stereotypes and roles um giving them the freedom to really just try whatever they want so yeah they're three um but my son paints his nails red. He has started a trend at daycare. All the boys go with their moms to paint their nails now. Oh, that, that's that's what I've been told. And that was a moment where I was like, that's, that's awesome. Because one thing that we allowed him to do, because he wanted to, and he, and he saw us doing it, um, allowed all these other kids to get on board too and try it out and, and have that experience too. Um, when, he, when he came to me, this was only a few weeks ago, was like, mommy, I really love that dress it's so beautiful on you and he's like i wish i could have a dress too and i was like okay let's go get get you a dress dress. let's (laughs) go right now um and and i surprised him with that um and just allow yeah allowing him to explore whatever he wants um and then there's like concepts of consent and there's concepts of like uh not even concepts but just like embracing nudity like i had this huge um argument with another person about bringing my my kid to pride which Mm -hmm. i bring him every year right and being like i can't 
believe that people bring their children to this to see this kind of sexuality and all this stuff going on like children children don't understand that and they shouldn't see that i'm like this is weird because like my kid sees boobs or you know nipples or yeah maybe maybe there's more coming out there if you think that i'm covering up in my house you are so wrong sadly mistaken yeah sadly mistaken yeah. we are nudists at my yeah. house like yeah. we we run around naked all the time um and you're basically putting on children the ideas of sexualizing people's bodies yeah they're they're children yeah they don't even know what that is they just see a body there's nothing wrong they see people loving and happy and celebrating and that's great. Um, and I'll never hide that from him. Um, like, I will never hide my body. And my um, my past partner, which is my son's biological parent, mm-hmm. um, is a trans woman. Right. Um, and my son has lots of questions that come out. And we just say, we explain it exactly as it is. Yeah. Uh, he says, mommy, um, I have a penis and you have a vagina. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, why? And I'm like, well, some people have penises and some people have vaginas. Right. And he goes, oh, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Like, like no that's, questions asked. That's like, the that's thing. Cool. I, that's absurd. Uh, I just want to go back to the, the, the pride thing. That's absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many things flashing through my head right now. First of all, how narrow that focus is to try to shelter children from, from bodies, mm-hmm. from sex, from sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's not only is it, is it, narrow and prudish but it fails to to understand other communities in the world and other cultures in which sexuality sex nudity is normalized and Mm -hmm. some of them are actually conservative communities Mm -hmm. so it makes me think that somebody who would complain about you taking your child to pride is not really worried about nudity it's more of a homophobic fear yeah i feel like it's the phobia is built into the word yeah yeah so there's there's an underlying homophobia there because i mean i grew up in uh, in an Eastern European family, and my parents, I seen them, I saw them naked since I was a kid as well. Like they didn't hide their nudity, and they're fairly conservative. Mm-hmm. They they have their their own views about things, but bodies were never hidden. Mm-hmm. And I think many Eastern European um, families have probably experienced the same thing. We used to go to the the Black Sea, and there's a lot of nudity there. I just went recently to a festival, uh, Hyperborea, which is a local kind of uh, Burning Man. And there were a bunch of children there. And they were brought into this artsy festival where some people were nude. Not a lot, but they do get to see all aspects of weirdness happening. And I've seen plenty of children at Pride. And I think it's healthy for them to grow up and to be able to witness these things without feeling a sense of guilt or shame about experiencing these things. And without turning things unnecessarily taboo. Yeah, and this was a big thing when, when, um, when they discovered their penis. Yeah. I thought he was gonna rip that thing right off of me. <laughs> and I wasn't I didn't want to be like, don't touch your penis. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, like like don't touch it when you're out here. I was just like, honey, if you wanna play with your penis, maybe do that on your own time. Yeah. <laughs> like because yeah. um, I'm like, I don't want you to whip it out of daycare. Because um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that could lead to some issues in the future. Yeah. But uh but uh I definitely don't wanna shame him either. So Yeah. Just um, healthy boundaries. Yeah, That's healthy boundaries. Healthy, healthy boundaries. boundaries. And also consent. Yeah. You know, these other people don't want to see your penis, honey. Yeah. Um, if you want to take it out on your own time when you're alone, you go right ahead. Um, but I th- yeah. I think people yeah. are just uh, worried 
panicking and not really thinking through the idea of, of what it means to expose children to sex, sexuality, sex education. I think they have this assumption that they're going to turn into deviants and perverts and uh, be oh sexually promiscuous. Oh my god, promiscuous. I hope that he does. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, the, the assumption is false because I've met people that grew up on nudist communes with hippies and have turned out to be very heteronormative, although very open-minded. But mm-hmm. that is the choice that they made consciously. And I respect any choice that's made consciously. If you want to be monogamous, if you're, if you are born heterosexual and cis, and those are the things that are your identity. Yeah. Some I mean, of those things are, are, are immutable anyway, mm-hmm. and some of those things are choices. And people have the right to make intelligent, conscious choices about the things that they can, and they have the right to, to feel okay with their bodies, with their identities, uh, with their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And sheltering people from that, making it taboo, making it confusing is only going to confuse them and lead to problems. So mm-hmm. f- of the people that I met that were raised in conservative households, some of them have turned out to be complete slutty perverts. Some of them that were raised in extremely open households also turned out to ex- to be slutty perverts. And I say that with all the love in my heart. <laughs> and then some people that were raised in either of those turned out to be very, very conservative about their sexuality and their practices in respectful ways and some in non-respectful ways. So I don't think there's any real correlation there for anybody that has fears about these things. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that off my chest. Yeah, I'm just not. here to uh, put it out on the table and they can choose whichever they like. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to uh, press pressure them into anything whether that be gender non-conforming or or not um because it's their choice and you know they had all the baby dolls and dress-up stuff and any anything you could think of um that were not the (laughs) specified gender norms of our society um thankfully many of us are breaking through that um but you know what? He loves trucks. <laughs> you know, he, he wants to play with trains. That's what he likes. Cool. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. And I wonder how, how it is being a, a mother and having... I presume you get a lot of people giving you their input, opinion, and criticisms <laughs> all the damn fucking time oh about your parenting and who you are. How do you feel about that? How does that feel having people just... Give oh, you the, yeah. I rage. I just <laughs> rage so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, if there's one thing I've learned about being a parent, especially a young parent, um, that definitely doesn't subscribe to the, I am going to uh, now be a martyr for my child. Um, I don't subscribe to that. And people who do, if that's your thing, that's your calling, not a problem, um, not my thing. So... I have people intercept into my life and moments with my child with lots of advice um, or criticism or judgment. It happens every single day. It happens online. It happens on the bus. It happens on this in the middle of the street. It happens if he's crying um, or throwing a temper tantrum or not. Right. Um, people come and they, they just... in intercept into their moments with your child and they're just like you know what and i'm like no yeah sorry no 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 no. i did not ask you stranger yeah um 
And it's really frustrating. There's a lot of microaggressions as a parent um, where um, this, this world that I'm living in right now um, in Toronto is not very kid friendly all the time. Um, I felt like a, like a burden or like I couldn't go to a lot of places and I've still had issues like that sometimes. Um, I find that something that needs to happen very badly um, is creating spaces for parents and mothers, especially. if you are doing work for you know single mothers or women in tech or women in business and all these things um have childcare yeah. on site if you have workshops or you know anything like that have childcare on site um there are ways to make these spaces inclusive on so many different levels um part of that is for parents and especially um, parents that are like of minorities or people that are are being oppressed, like make space for that, make options, yeah. um, gather your information and figure it out, please. Right. Um, because uh, something being in business as well that I see going to these, you know, um, <laughs> the boss bitch workshops is there's no room for people who have kids um, and it's mostly white, dominated um so my message is do some work there yeah i mean i was thinking about the this idea of of people coming up to you and and trying to give you their advice about raising children on the one hand it's inappropriate because these people are strangers on the other hand there's this idea in my head that sometimes you you should have a community to help raise the next generation but if these people are not doing the work to be communal and mm-hmm. they're not going to be around to to help and be genuine and be educated on raising children then they don't have any business being there mm-hmm. and there's steps that we can make like you were saying to put in daycares in workplaces and to actually have a communal effort towards raising children together mm-hmm. and i borrow this from you know seeing communes and having experienced this uh, this thing at hyperborea seeing communities of people raising children with an ethos of of care love uh, radical self-acceptance and accepting of others being educated on sex sexuality consent so i think that there there is an appropriate time where people can come in and correct me if i'm wrong if it, that they can come in and support you as a parent but I mean actual support. I don't mean coming in as a stranger on the street with some fucking criticism because you think that this is the way things should be done. Absolutely. And like if you have um you have friends that are expecting or friends with children, like ask them what they need. Just just ask. Um be like, "Can I come over and just play with you guys for a little while or have a barbecue or help with dinner or like you know stuff like that there's things that i was really deprived of through my pregnancy um because i didn't have the strong network and support that i have now i was still building that um and and also putting my time into it because you 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 get what you give as well Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't have a ton of energy to be putting into um, to a lot of my friendships while I was pregnant because I was just trying to survive and figure out life. Um, but now I'm super lucky to have 
to, I feel like I have a ton of support now. So, so the people that that are supportive have there are any of them part of the sex positive communities? Oh, and for sure. is there something about these communities that is particularly more supportive or helpful to you as a as a single parent? Mm-hmm. I think part of that intersects with mental health as well, um, because they understand how to to ask and 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 figure out what kind of help you need or are comfortable with. Um, and communicating and checking in and all of these things are stuff that we try to really um, to really bring out in the community and to give to each other. So um, a lot of people that are supportive to me in my life right now are in these communities and they reach out. They're like, oh, are you feeling exhausted this week? Like, let me bring you some food. Let me let drop off some dinner. I made extra. Um, or, you know, do you... Um, do you need like hand-me-downs do you need any of these things um here's like whatever like here's some coupons I found like it could be literally anything um it's just like you know tell me what you need or hey I'm fine with hanging out with you um in an environment where your children are welcome are welcome yeah yeah you know creating that I'd like to go you know to the island bring your kids stuff like that so yeah definitely awesome awesome all right well that was that was quite a bit and that was good good info and we've never really touched on that in uh on the podcast yet uh i think there could be a, a future episode where we do talk more about parenthood uh i know several single parents that are in these communities and i say single parents because they're no longer with their other biological parent but they're not necessarily single because Mm -hmm. they do have other partners they do have support communities and it'd be nice to hear more about that because i do think you're right it's it's a little bit stigmatized Mm -hmm. and you know you're not always i'm not supposed to be sexy and a mom and invited to things (laughs) with your children um so then let's uh let's talk a little bit about you know I think we touched on your experiences of love, sex, and sexuality, and pleasure. So what does the the future sort of hold for you now? Where do you want to be with regards to everything that we talked about? Motherhood, performing, uh, burlesque, relationships. What do you envision? What do you hope for? Mm -hmm. For yourself, your son, your future? It's kind of funny. As of right now, I feel like I'm right where I want to be. <laughs> oh, perfect. For the most part. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty happy. Um, I hope that um, as time goes on, I'm able to still multitask and still do all the things that make me really happy. Um, I hope to continue on with my performing, and I intend to, um, but I also want to explore different avenues of creativity and art um, and kind of uh, continue to make time for that. Um, I am super entrepreneurial, so I mainly want to have my own business um, in the future, and I want to be continuing to do work in, in the communities and be able to give back to the communities that have helped me so much and give more. Um do you know what what sort of entrepreneurial business you're interested in? Not yet. Yeah, no. Oh, there, you do. Oh, okay. There's different avenues. Um, 
I'll probably keep it on wraps for now. Okay. But but when it's ready. When it's ready, we'll have another episode. um, (laughs) Any angel investors listening to this podcast, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, hit me up. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it'll definitely intersect uh, with helping others. It'll always come down to that um, Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form. So even if it is a a business, it'll certainly um, be giving back. Because uh, that's the most important thing to me, and I'm not looking to become a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, and for future, um, me as a mom, me as um, being in the kink community, and my partner, and all that stuff, um, they have been amazing. They have been super supportive. Uh, I hope that we get to grow and experience lots of new things together, um, as we have been. Uh, and then for my son, like, I just hope that they are able to grow up feeling super confident, um, knowledgeable, mm-hmm. um, respectful, and, uh, and, and having a super healthy relationship with their sexuality and the same kind of support networks. And, and hopefully I'm able to uh, help them navigate the kind of support that they need in their life as time goes on. Awesome. All right. Well, before we wrap up, this was really wonderful. Thank you for for doing the interview. Thank you. Let's do one more sort of shameless self-promoting and pl- <laughs> plug away at the things where people can find you uh, and anything else you want to say. Yeah, please, please follow me on Instagram at Remedy Moore. Um, I have lots of videos on there, lots of photos of what I'm up to, um, lots of funny live updates from here and there. Um, you can also find me on Facebook as Remedy Moore. Um, that has lots of the same material. Um, I'm in and around Toronto. I'm also super open to um, collaborating, modeling, performing together. Um, if you have ideas for stuff that you need partners for, please let me know. I'm super open to all of that stuff, especially if we're dressing up. Love dressing up. Awesome. <laughs> Yay. All right. Okay. Thank you, Remedy Moore. Thank you. You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking.